it is probably safe to say that everyone in here is going through some sort of a spiritual struggle. Struggle could be with a besetting sin. Could be feeling as though you're being spiritually attacked. Could be that you feel as though there's more to life than you're currently experiencing. It could be a trouble or a hardship that you're currently enduring. It could be feelings of inadequacy. It could be feelings of discouragement. It could be any number of things. And when these attacks, when these feelings, these struggles go on for an extended period of time, we begin to adapt to the way that things are. We adapt to the feelings. We adapt to the defeat. We, we, we adapt and then we begin to accept. We just accept that this is the way life is. This is the best it will ever be. This is just who I am. This is how I feel. And there's nothing really that can be done about it. And when we adapt and accept, we become content to merely survive. And the word survive, it means just to remain alive or in existence. And of course, to survive is certainly better than to be destroyed, but... The question I wondered this week is, are those really the only two options that we have in life? And I don't think that they are. In fact, I I know that's not the case. Do you know that the Bible never says that believers are to survive? When the Bible describes the believer's life, it uses words like overcome, victory, more than conquerors. This is how the Bible describes us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are to overcome the struggles and the trials and the difficulties of life. We are to to have victory over the besetting sins and the other issues that we face. And this is significantly different, different than just remaining alive. And if you're here today and you have adapted and accepted things regarding your spiritual struggles and defeat, then let me encourage you that there is more. Merely surviving is not what Jesus died to give us. There is more. We can overcome. And this morning we're going to learn some about the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 50, and that's page 880 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul says, Now this I say, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The title of the message this morning is Victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we love you. Father, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Father, as we read Scripture and the life that we are supposed to live so many times we, we see that there is a difference in what the Bible says and what we experience. So many times, Lord, we, we learn to adapt and accept just survival or even defeat. And the Bible says that we have victory through Jesus. So many times, Father, we, we live in a constant state of defeat when Jesus has made us more than conquerors. Father, we want to overcome. We want to live in the victory that should be ours. So today as we look at your word, let our hearts and our minds be centered upon you. Father, begin even now preparing us. Giving us the, the idea that, that what the Bible says about victory is real. That truly we can be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we can just grasp and and begin to believe the idea that it's real, that we really can live that way. And let your spirit and your word begin to work to make that a reality in our lives. Help us, Father, to understand we are not poor, pitiful and miserable. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. The Spirit of the living God living within us, guiding us and empowering us to do your will. Give us a vision of a life of victory and obedience and holiness and a life that brings you glory and honor and testifies of your greatness and your goodness. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Use this time to empower and encourage your people. Let us leave here today strengthened and ready to go out, knowing that Jesus Christ has given us victory. We ask all of this in His precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Folks in Corinth had begun to adopt a pagan mindset that said there was no resurrection of the dead. Paul spends all of chapter 15 defending the idea that there is indeed a resurrection of the dead. That not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but we too shall one day be raised from the dead. But Paul is a practical guy. Paul was never really content to just give us theological information to fill our heads. He always intended that what he taught would bring a difference into our lives. 
And that while the, the resurrection of Jesus, it is a past event, and the resurrection of the saints, it is a future event, there is a present reality for us. There is something that it means for us here and now. If the resurrection is not true, then there is no point in really struggling and trying to live for Jesus. We just as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if there is a resurrection, and if one day we will stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives, well, now that, that changes things significantly. And as Paul was writing this, he makes an amazing statement. He, he talks a couple of times in this passage about victory, death is swallowed up in victory. The grave has lost its victory. And thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. And the idea, the theme of victory is central to all that Paul is talking about in this particular passage. And so the central truth for us to understand is very simply that Jesus gives me victory. And I want to talk about this idea for just a second, that Jesus gives me victory. Because there is a, a hopeful thought in this. So often what we do is we try to muster the victory. We try to, to overcome in our strength, in our wisdom, in our power. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We don't learn to be victorious. We don't learn to be good enough that we can overcome. Our victory, it comes from Jesus. He gives it to us as we believe in Him. And to me, that is a huge thing because what I know about me is I can't do it on my own. And until I come to the end of Stacy and begin to rely on Jesus, I will never live a life of victory. And until you come to the end of you and you begin to rely on Jesus, you will never live in victory. Jesus gives us victory. And the victory that Jesus gives us, the Bible speaks of it in many ways. But this passage speaks of it in three. The first is, I have victory over death. Author Francis Chan says that we all know we're going to die. But we don't know it in a way that we believe it could happen at any time. I think that's true. Deep down... We all know that we are a part of the great and dreaded statistic, right? Ten out of ten people die. And even though we don't like to think about it, it is the truth. We prefer to, to think and to live and act as though we are going to live forever. That's why we put things off. We'll do it later. We always have more time. Because we... I mean, people die suddenly, people get sick, but not us, that's other people. We have lots of time. And I think one of the reasons we do this is because deep down we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, at a funeral, there is something within us that says this surely can't be what life is about. Surely there's more than this. And we really weren't meant for death, according to what Scripture says. We were meant to live in perpetual communion forever with God. But Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought death into the world. And 
Every since Adam and Eve, every person was born spiritually dead, but also physically dying. Our relationship with God was broken. And so we now live facing that harsh reality that one day death will catch up to us. We can exercise, we can eat right, but in the end, we are still one of the ten out of ten that is going to die. Death is a certainty. It's a happy message, right? Are you feeling encouraged? Anyway, if that's really all there was, it would be a mighty depressing thought. But as we look at what Paul is telling us in this passage, he's explaining that death isn't the end. Right, that there, there is more to life than death. And that while we will die, death isn't really the end of our existence. Look at what Paul says in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. See, we are probably all going to die. Unless we're alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to die. But death, physical death, is not the end. There is Eternity. There is life after death. And at some point, Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ, they will rise. And then any of us who are alive and remain during the time when Jesus comes back, we will also experience a resurrection of sorts, for we will be changed. See, these bodies, these bodies aren't going into eternity. These bodies are dying. These bodies are are breaking down. I was talking with Lucas before church about issues with the knees. Right? I mean, you just, the older you get, the more things start to break. The more they start to fall apart, the, the, the harsher the reality becomes. Because you understand. There's just a constant ache that says, I'm not eternal like this. I'm not going to last forever. But this life is not all that there is. There is a life to come. And we can be sure of that because Jesus rose from the dead and it was the first fruits. He rose from the dead and then there will come a day when everyone will rise from the dead. And these mortal bodies are going to put on immortality. These corruptible bodies are going to put on incorruption. And then we will enter the kingdom of God. We will go to be with Jesus and we will live with him forever. And then he says in verse 54, So when corruptible has put on incorruption, and when mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So you and I, we, we are going to die probably. But we still have victory over death. See, had Jesus not died for our sins and had Jesus not risen from the dead, then death was, would be the victor over all things because death eventually claims us all. Jesus has proven, He has given us an example that will follow for us, that there is victory over the grave. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, 
he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We, we talked about this in our Sunday school class today. He's talking to the sister of a man who's been dead for four days. And she's wondering why Jesus didn't come and why he didn't heal. Because she knew that he could. And, and Jesus said that resurrection, that everything is bound up in him. Right, that, that he is, because she said to him, he said, your brother will rise. And she said, well, I know he'll rise in the last day. Jesus said, that last day, that resurrection, it's all about me. Everyone who is connected to me will live forever. They may physically die, but one day they will live again. And he asked, do you believe this? Now, that's the key question for us, isn't it? Do you Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that Jesus can give life to all who believe? Do you believe? And this truth that Jesus has given us victory over death, it is meant to be an encouraging statement. It is meant to be something that helps us in life. John 14 is part of the the last discourse of Jesus. And and the disciples kind of have an idea that he's going away. And they're bothered by it. They know things are going to change. They know it's not going to be the same. And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And his point was just, I'm not leaving you forever. I am coming back. I mean, that is a, what a great thought. I mean, and that's true for us. Jesus is preparing a place. And when the time is right and the hour is where it should be, He is going to come back for all of those who have repented of their sins and believed in Him and are hoping and trusting in Him. Now, I think death is still a a fearful thought. But it doesn't have to be a defeating thought. There is victory over the grave. There is victory over death. When when this body fails, I do not cease to exist. Instead, I go to be with my Savior who died for me. I will spend eternity with Him. And that, that that is a win. The grave does not win in the life of a believer. Jesus gives us victory. Over death. Not only does Jesus give us victory over death, but I have victory over judgment. You know, as a as a pastor and as a just a family member, a person, I've been to a lot of funerals, and I've been to funerals where they were almost more of a celebration than anything else. It was a celebration of of life, the person who had lived. There was sure tears in missing. But there was just something different. There was, well, there was hope. But I have been to other funerals. There was no hope. I remember one and, and I mean, it was just the most hopeless thing I had ever 
experienced in my life. The songs that were chosen were hopeless sounding songs. The, the weeping and the wailing of the people, it, was, it wasn't just, I will miss them. It was, they're gone forever. It was, it was hopeless. And apart from Jesus, death is kind of a hopeless thing. And Paul explains why death is hopeless apart from Jesus. He says in verse 55, O, o death, where is your sting? O, o Hades, or grave, where is your victory? Right? Because of Jesus, there is victory over death and over the grave. But without Jesus, there is a sting in death. And here's the reason. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. See, what makes death hopeless? Is really sin. A life of sin. And what gives sin, what makes it so strong is the law. And here's kind of how this works. The law is God's standard of, of what's right and what's wrong. But the law doesn't just say this is right and this is wrong. Now do what you feel is okay. The law says this is right and this is wrong. And there are consequences for doing what is wrong. See, what the law says is that in the Old Testament, the law said when you sin, something has to die. In the New Testament, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. See, apart from Jesus, death leads to judgment. It leads to a day where you will stand before Jesus and give an account for your life and you will face the judgment of God for the sin that you've committed. See, death leads to this. Revelation 20 and 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens had fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now notice this next part. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Now, notice what length John goes to to kind of make us understand that everybody will stand there. Right, the, the small and the great. That doesn't refer to height. It refers to importance in life. Right? Small. The small would be just regular people. People like us. People who... Th these aren't serial killers. These aren't mass murderers. These aren't those who, who led the world to war and, and did heinous acts. These are just regular people. And in regular people, they did what regular people do. They did what we would call the acceptable sins. They, they gossiped, and maybe they lied, and they cheated, and they did a few things here and there, but they weren't the, the horrendous people that lived. But they are standing there. The great, the great are. The great are those who led the world to war, those who did great acts of sin and iniquity that, that were just... The world knows who they are and what they've done. But not only are the small and great, but he, he goes to even greater lengths to say that the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered the dead who were in them. And the idea is that there's no escape. 
Right? People who drown at sea and their bodies are never recovered, they are going to stand in that place. You could even picture it as saying people who, who were burned up and their bodies were destroyed, they are going to stand before that place. The picture that John is painting is that there is no escape from this day of judgment. Every person, every person will stand before the great white throne of judgment. There is no escape. And he says that they're judged by these books. There's a books that were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, which were written in the book. So here's what I believe. I think there's at least three books. The book of life, which we'll get to in a second. There's one book which I believe will be the Bible. Because the Bible is God's standard of right and wrong. It tells us everything that God expects, that God has said is right, that God has said is wrong, how we're to live, think, act, believe, everything. So I believe that is one of the books. And the other book is the works. As I said, they'll be judged by the works. I think one book is one that just kind of has a recording. All we've done in our lives. How we have lived and what we have done. And the way I understand this, the way I, I see this happening is, our works are going to be read, the things that we've done. Now, in our minds, we kind of think, well, when, when all of my works are done, are read, it's going to make it sound like how good I was, all the good things I've done. See, what we do when we list all of our works is we hit our highlight reel, don't we? Well, I was good here, and I was generous there, and I was kind there. But it's not just going to be that. It's going to be everything. The book of Ecclesiastes even tells us that the secret things, the things that we've tried so hard to hide that, that no one else knew about, Right, that we did alone in the dark that no one saw, God saw, it's recorded in the book, and it'll be read. And as all of our works are read, and all of the things that we've done are read, it's going to be compared against the standard of right and wrong. It's going to be compared against this absolute standard, and that's a key thing. It is an absolute standard. The book that is written, that has the, the law, that has the standard, it is not going to change for me than it is for you. We are going to have the same standard that we are going to be held to. All people of all ages and all times. And rather than our works declaring how good we were, our works are going to declare all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. In that time... It will come to pass what Paul said in Romans three nineteen and 20, that every mouth will be stopped. The people who say, well, when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to tell him this and I'm going to tell him that. Oh, oh no, my friend. When you stand before the great white throne of judgment and the deeds of your life are read out, it is not going to make you say, look at me and look how good I was. Instead, it is going to cause you to stop your mouth and understand that you and I, we are indeed guilty. But then there's, there's grace in this passage because there is a, a book of life. And the Bible says all whose names are not written in the book of life. So the book of life is the third book. And the book of life... It's mentioned in the Old and New Testaments, and it carries with it the idea that God has a book that has the name of every person who belongs to him. In, in the New Testament times, it would be every person who has repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. That person's name is written in the book. And the person who is there will 
hear their crimes, their sins read, and they will understand that they are guilty. And then they'll go through the book, ours, Ross. And it's Stacy James Ross. It's not in the book. And he will be cast into the lake of fire. Where the Bible says the smoke of his torments will rise forever and ever. But if his name is in the book, then he will be freed from that judgment. He will overcome and he will not be cast into the lake of fire. He will be welcomed and told, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what I like about the wording here is several things. First, I do like that it's absolute. It's all people. You and I cannot read this and think that doesn't include me. Small and great, death and Hades, everyone. That's us. I like that there's an absolute standard. I like that God is not going to judge me differently than He's going to judge you. I like that there is just this standard and everybody's held to the same. But the last thing I like is that the book of life is really what makes the difference. You see, what's going to make the difference on that day isn't morality. Moral people are not going to have their name written in the book of life and they're going to be cast in the lake of fire. It's not religiosity. Religious people are not going to have their names written in the book of life and they're going to be cast in the lake of fire. It's not a country. Americans are not going to have their names written in the book of life and they're going to be cast in the lake of fire. What matters is, what did you do with Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? See, everything, everything rises and falls on Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there is no victory at death. Because death leads me to judgment. And there is nothing but condemnation waiting for me there apart from Jesus. But through Jesus, I have victory over death because I have victory over judgment. Let me ask you this morning, are you sure that your name is written in the book of life? Not are you a good person? Are you kind? Are you sure that you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, have been born again, and your name is written in the book of life? Because in the end, that is the only thing It is going to matter. Jesus alone can give us victory over judgment. And then the final way that this passage talks about victory is that I have victory over insignificance. I think a part of the reason that death is so hard is because at death, all the things we wanted to do are over. At death, there's no more next week I'm going to. It's just, it's done. Whatever I was going to do, that's it. And I think within all of us, there is a desire for our lives to matter. I mean, we want want our lives to matter beyond, beyond our lives. Nobody really wants to be known as selfish. Nobody wants to be known as a narcissist. I mean, that's why... Narcissistic people in our culture donate millions of dollars to hospitals so they can build a wing and put their name on it. 
They don't want to be known as a selfish narcissist. They want to be known as someone who helped here. That's why they give to colleges so they can have a building with their name on it. So that they can say, my life mattered beyond the selfish narcissism of myself. There's just within all of us a desire that our lives would be significant. We want to know that we lived and we died and we mattered. I mean, it may not have, we may not want to be worldwide world changers, but we, we want to know that when people think on us, they think good thoughts. They think that we helped, we were kind. We, we want to know that we mattered. And apart from Jesus, there's, there's just always a, a wonder. We, we wonder, does my life matter? I mean, feelings of insignificance, those are discouraging. I'll say for me, what will get me discouraged faster than anything is to think that what I'm doing doesn't count. That it's just not important. I'm not making a difference. The most discouraging times of my life have been when I just felt my life didn't matter. And we're not, any of us that feels that way, we're not alone. There was a king who felt this way. He said that it's a very serious problem. People leave the world no better off than they came. The hard work is for nothing like working for the wind. Throughout their lives they live under a cloud. Now like this, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Solomon was going through a period of his life where he was trying to find significance apart from God. He was trying to do his own thing and see what was really important in life. And what he found was that really he lived his life and apart from God, you live your life under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged and angry. Can anyone relate to those feelings? Do you ever go through life feeling that you're under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged and angry? If so, you know where Solomon was and what he was talking about. And he goes on. And he said, it seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That's why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There's no hope for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. He says, as he looked at life, everybody just dies. Ten out of ten. Why try? Going to die And another place talks about, I'm going to leave what I've done to somebody else who may not be smart. I mean, why try to be good when in the end I'm going to die anyway? Why try to follow God's way when in the end I'm going to die? I'll just do what I want to do. I mean, there's nothing ahead but death. It's better to just live how I want because in the end I'm going to die. And apart from Jesus, that's, I think, what people do. We just choose our own mad course. And for a while, it may make us feel good, but in the end, we always go back to to feeling under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. We try new things, we try to to go on to something else, but in the end, it always comes back to that. And sometimes I think it's because we just don't know for sure. But for the believer, we can be sure. He says in verse 57, But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, because Jesus is risen, we have victory over death. Because Jesus is risen, we have victory over judgment. And we are victors. Therefore, because of this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing 
that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing we do in Jesus' name is ever a waste of time. Ever. Whether anyone sees it or not, God sees it. One of my favorite phrases from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where Jesus talks to the seven churches is, I know your works and I know your labors. Everything they did, he saw. Everything they did was written in a book. Everything they did was before him. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the world will not always appreciate. The world will not always see, but your Savior always does. And nothing we do in His name, no matter how we feel about it, is ever, ever in vain. It's never a waste of time. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your life matters. Your service to Jesus matters. You say, well, I'm not, you know, missionary or a preacher. It doesn't say be a missionary or a preacher. Well, I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. It doesn't say be a doctor or a lawyer. It just says, as believers in Jesus Christ, God, Christ has given us the victory. Therefore, be immovable and abounding and steadfast in your service to Jesus, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Last week, my cousin had a birthday, but my cousin passed away a couple of years ago. And so I posted this verse on his wall. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And I posted that because he still has a Facebook page. His wife maintains it. And on his birthday and at various times through the year, people post on his page about the importance of him in their lives. He was a youth pastor in like Miami area in Florida. He helped kids come out of bad situations and get on the right path. He, I mean, and just the things that he's done, the difference that he made. And even now, it's been a couple of years, but there are kids who write on his wall saying, thanks, Nolan, for the things that you did. You made a difference. There are parents who write on his wall saying, thanks for caring about my kid and helping them to get on the right path. His good works follow him, still going on today. In, in his life, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't famous. His name was Nolan Davis. None of you have ever heard of him, unless you've talked to me about him. He didn't write a book that sold a million copies. He didn't pastor a large church. In fact, he never actually was a pastor, a pastor, lead pastor of a church. He was a youth pastor and then an executive pastor. He was never the main guy up front. But his life has left a legacy. The things that he did mattered eternally. And your life and my life are no different than his. The things that we do for Jesus, they leave a lasting legacy. Those good works follow us. We can live eternally significant lives by living for Jesus. How great is that? Jesus gives us victory over insignificance because only the things we do for Jesus last forever. Our good works follow us into heaven. Oh, that's, these are hopeful, hopeful thoughts to me. Let me ask you this morning, do you know that Jesus has given you victory? I mean, do you know that you have victory over the grave?
Do you know that you have victory over judgment? Do you know you have victory over insignificance? If you're not sure about those things, this today is an opportunity to turn to Jesus and get it settled. We're not meant to live wondering and doubting. We're not meant to live hoping that it will be okay and and thinking that probably it's going to be okay. Listen, friends, you can know with absolute certainty that Jesus has given you this victory. And if you do not have that, this is an opportunity to seek Him, to call upon His name, to cry out to Him until that certainty comes. The Holy Spirit was given in part to let us be sure about these things. If you're not certain today, take advantage of this time of invitation. Seek the Lord and seek the certainty that He can give. Let's stand.